0: Fans and welcome into the Thursday, September the 19th edition of the Locked On Dolphins Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins do play a football game on Sunday. We'll preview the Cowboys, we'll recap Miami's offseason and the brilliant execution. That's right, brilliant execution of their vision and what is the expectation for 2020 plus I have remade the whiteboard with new player designations and values we'll go over Miami's depleted 53man roster with a fine-tooth comb all of that and more but first before any of it I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast we've made the top 200 multiple times or on Spotify where we are on the top 100 there you can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL then I want to follow on on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, you can find the show at LockedOnFins and, of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, where myself and our team of writers over there gives you guys daily content on this football team every single day. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we're going to start this podcast off with a little bit of... I suppose an annoyed reaction to the general media, the national media, most pundits, and even some of the local guys that seem to not understand what's going on in Miami. And frankly, it's not that difficult to see, especially after Chris Greer spoke the other day at his press conference, his first media availability since back in January when all this happened or began to happen, I should say. But you look at the value this team has gotten from every single asset they've sold off and stayed very true to one blind singular vision, it's actually really impressive. And I get that this tanking issue is a problem for a lot of sports fans that think that maybe it's not in the spirit of the game, even though it's within the rules and the bylaws of the National Football League and of the sport itself. It's kind of... An unwritten rule, maybe even as far as to call it Bush League. I wouldn't go that far, but I will say the Dolphins have done a bang-up job of getting this stuff done this off season. And I wanted to write a piece, and it's up on lockedondolphins.com right now, called "Agree with It or Not: Miami Maximized Value in the Fire Cell." Because I keep seeing these podcasts and radio shows and television programs, even Scott Van Pelt, my favorite guy in all of uh, sports media on television, he has been down on the Dolphins every single show that. This week And it actually has been pretty comical for the most part, but I wanted to refute these ideas that the Dolphins are visionless or that they're doing things the wrong way and they're not going to rebound from this because of a lack of culture, a instability in the locker room, whatever you want to call it. Everybody has their reasons for why the Dolphins have failed the NFL and their organization and their fans but that's not true. And let's talk about why that's not true and how brilliant of a job Chris Greer has done this off season. The Dolphins cleared out their salary this year, all the way down to the bare bones. They have the lowest cash payroll by a significant amount in the NFL. And by doing that and choosing to not spend money on free ages, the Dolphins earned this, a third and fifth round compensatory draft pick for Jawan James, Cam Wake, And maybe even a seventh round pick for Frank Gore if things go the right way in the formula. I'm not sure how it works, but I do know they'll get a third and a fifth For James and Cam Wake, they were able to eat portions of the Ryan Tannehill and Robert Quinn contracts because they didn't worry about spending that money and taking on dead cap to extract a fourth round draft pick and a sixth round draft pick for a now backup quarterback and middling pass rusher. Those guys don't have that type of value in this league. They pushed future payroll into 2020 to the tune of nearly $150 million in cap space in a year where Kenyon Drake is really the only prominent player set to hit free agency. And is he that prominent? At best, you're probably looking at a 7th or 6th round compensatory pick depending on the contract he signs elsewhere if he even lasts to the trade deadline. So Miami can now go crazy in free agency without having to worry about the compensatory formula next season and all these draft picks they acquired from Ryan Tannehill, Robert Quinn, the compensatory formula, it allowed them to maneuver all these multiple trade picks or multiple pick trades, I should say, like with Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills. All those back-end picks that traded hands. The two trades that brought in Danny E. Isadora and Evan Boehm or even the Minka Fitzpatrick trade where Miami and Pittsburgh swapped four different picks outside of the pick in the first round and you look around the league at value other teams have gotten for players that are better than Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunzel go back to Oakland 2018 they traded away two marquee players and one of those guys is the best player, pretty much inarguably, if you ask me, at his position in Khalil Mack. The best edge rusher in the National Football League. They also got rid of Amari Cooper, who for all intents and purposes, has become a top 10 receiver in the National Football League. And what do they get back for those guys? Three first round picks and a third round pick. A nice haul, no doubt. But listen to this. And Jalen Ramsey, another example, he is being shopped right now for two first round picks. And if the Jags get that back, they'll be happy with that. But... Jalen Ramsey is an All-Pro in 2017, two-time Pro Bowler. Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper both have Pro Bowls and All-Pros to their name. Laramie Tunzel and Mika Fitzpatrick, for as much as I liked both of those players, and especially Tunzel and what he brought to the table, they got back three first and a second-round draft pick for those guys, better than what the Raiders got for Cooper and Mack. And the Tunzel trade on its own is going to bring back more than what Jalen Ramsey, an all-pro cornerback, brought back or will bring back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the value for all of these moves has been tipped in the Dolphins' favor. If you're taking away the team logos and the team-building aspect and the immediate impact on the football team, and you just look at these two sides of each of these trades as trading partners or companies on the financial investment market, You would point to the Miami Dolphins every single time as the team that got the better value out of the deal. They've done it every single step of the way. And of those first three rounders, one of those belongs to the 0-2 Pittsburgh Steelers, who, by the way, are now without their starting quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, for the final 14 games. Mason Rudolph will make his first career start this coming Sunday. This after waving goodbye to Antonio Brown, one of the all-time greatest receivers in the NFL, Le'Veon Bell, one of the best running backs in the NFL, and Mike Munchak, one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. The Dolphins possess a first-round pick from a team that has gotten worse at literally every level of their offense and never had a good defense to begin with. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. And this comes in a deep quarterback class where the opportunity exists to turn a potential top 10 pick after you've already drafted to a tongue of Iloa, you might be able to turn that Steelers top 10 pick into three or four more picks because you trade down with a team that wants a quarterback at that spot. It's a shame that we have to end every single praise of Chris Greer, which this totally is, by the way, a complete praise of Chris Greer. It's a shame we have to end this forward-thinking, well-orchestrated plan with the caveat that if the draft picks fail, then this fails. Well, no shit. Of course, that's what's going to happen. But if Greer had held on to those depreciating assets and bandaged up a roster for a run at the Patriots, the outcome of that approach and a failed tank, my friends are one in the same. He'd be fired either way. So how's that for a take? People are just scared of something new, even if the old way is a proven failure 20 times over. What the Dolphins are doing is new, and if that plan fails, it will be looked back upon as the strange detour from the league's standard operating procedures, even though it was an offseason full of victories for the Miami Dolphins. And I do want to circle back to this point in the second segment and tell you about an expectation or what the mandate might be for 2020 because, again, all of this is great in theory and this is the caveat part. But if they don't make it work out on the field, none of it will matter. So I want to lay the expectations for 2020 and what this staff and regime has to do to stick around to be part of this rebuild. We'll do that next. But first, real quick, the opening month of the NFL season is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Sparkling thoughts, give me the hope to go on. Now, I know it's not a Wednesday, but I'm feeling good on a Wednesday, and why not get some more South Park references? That won't be the last one we have on this episode. Before we get into our next segment here, I want to talk about a tweet I sent out on Wednesday morning, I believe it was, about Minka Fitzpatrick and his desire to not be a Miami Dolphin anymore, and how kind of ironic and Let's be real, hilarious the fact is that he was sent to Pittsburgh because one, they're going in the wrong direction Two, even more so than Miami is this season. Well, not this season, but long term, you think they're maybe in some more trouble. But they also send Minka Fitzpatrick to one of the league's most antiquated defenses in the National Football League. You recall last year that Sunday night game against the Chargers. They had Keenan Allen matched up on a linebacker to the tune of something like 14 catches for 200 yards. They continued to do that. You go back to the 2016 AFC Championship game, they had Lawrence Timmons running down the field, on the field, the field, field, Hogan, 20, 30 yards down the field in that AFC title game from my film study when the Dolphins did sign Timmons the next season. And somehow their defensive coordinator. Keith Butler has survived all of that. So, Minka, you have fun, buddy. And one more note before I lay out the expectations for 2020. There was a note last night on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center show that mentioned the Dolphins and Jets are both three touchdown underdogs this Sunday. The Dolphins play the Cowboys. We'll preview that game in just one minute. <laughs> and the Jets play the Patriots. Now, they are 23 point dogs, whereas Miami are 21 and a half point dogs. And this is the first time since 1987. Two teams in the National Football League are three touchdown underdogs on the same week. And the last time it happened in 87, the Cowboys and Niners had their full squads back from strike with Bill Walsh and Tom Landry, whereas the teams they were playing, Atlanta and Philadelphia, still had scabs playing on their team. So that's the company Miami's keeping right now, the NFL scabs, from the strike season of 1987. And let's go ahead and talk about better times ahead because we know that 2019 is a disaster and we're going to preview a football game with this team here in just one second in a game where they are three touchdown underdogs. But I talked about this team in glowing praise in the first segment of this podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But what is the expectation in 2020 because we know that Chris Greer's mention of free agent spending means that Steven Ross is not going to sit here and let this team be bad for more than one year. Frankly, I'm stunned that he has shown the patience to let this whole thing play out this season. I know it's killing him personally. He hates to lose, he hates the embarrassment factor. He wants the Dolphins to be a winner so bad that this year is going to be tough on him even though he can see the force for the trees. But then things will change next season. There's going to be an expectation. Is there going to be a mandate, like postseason winning record? What is that mandate? Because right now, we are already on to the 2020 season, right? So what is that mandate? Because if Flores doesn't get... Let's say it's eight wins to go 8-8 and in 2020. You know how many coaches would line up to take over the youngest team in the league full of first-round draft picks and five-star prospects led by Tua Vailoa, coaches like Lincoln Riley? I mean, you have to think about how attractive this job could become down the line. So do you put a certain level of victories or success into the postseason on Brian Flores and Chris Greer in year number two? For me, I think if you can get seven or eight wins, that would be a very positive sign going forward off of a team that for all intents and purposes is going to or did finish up 0-16. I think that's a realistic expectation because like I talked about on the show yesterday, you can plug a lot of the holes with some free agents. You can draft and develop a core portion of the roster in addition to the five or six parts you have right now. And I think this thing can get turned around quickly. And if it doesn't, you better get off the seat because guys like Lincoln Riley are not going to come around too often. And depending on how things go the next two years, this could become the most attractive. Attractive job in the NFL. But we still have 14 games to play before that, including one this Sunday in Dallas. And to go back to the Minka Fitzpatrick trade, it does make me wonder not having Minka How the hell they're going to operate this game at safety against the Dallas Cowboys. The Dolphins did sign Doug Middleton, by the way, on Wednesday, a third year safety that was previously with the Jets. Let's go ahead and jump into this game and preview the Cowboys from the offensive and defensive standpoint. 21 point favorites, 21 and a half point favorites, I should say, for a one o'clock Eastern kickoff on Sunday in Arlington, Texas. The Cowboys are 2-0 and they kind of have a roster of a team that the Dolphins hope to build in a few years. A young emerging quarterback heading into a second contract stout trench play on both sides of the football and playmakers all over the field both in the secondary and at receiver and running back they are loaded they're a championship window level team that's where miami wants to get but for right now we'll have to take our small potatoes as they come Small potatoes like watching Xavier Howard have dominant games or watching an upstart linebacker like Jerome Baker or even surprising recent additions like Vince Beagle. These are the guys we're watching for in these games. To go back to the Cowboys offense, this coaching staff is just one of the best in the NFL and they probably have two coordinators who are better head coaching candidates than the guy that currently holds the job in Jason Garrett. Kellen Moore and Chris Richard, two guys at the top of their games. They are creating the most out of that offensive and defensive talent and skill sets. With Kellen Moore, the passing concepts, the pre-snap motion, the versatility in the running game, the red zone concepts that are freeing up wide open pass catchers in the end zone. He is just calling the games of his life so far through two weeks, through two games of his entire career, this guy's going to be a head coach in the near future, just like Chris Richard, who is the passing game coordinator, but he's still in a co-op for the defensive coordinator position in Dallas, and he has elements of that Seattle Seahawks defense with Gus Bradley and Pete Carroll. And they've kind of fused that together with Rod Marinelli and his roots back in the original Tampa 2 with the Buccaneers in the early 2000s. And because of that, the Cowboys are very versatile and they can do it with those linebackers they have on that defense. Look for Chad O'Shea to go after this Cowboys multiple coverage zone type of defense with in-breaking routes, high-low concepts, drive concepts, ways to displace that zone coverage and attack the middle of the field in the cover one and Tampa 2 looks, seam shots and deep shots up the sideline. Could be the expectation. As far as the players on this Cowboys team, Prescott off to an MVP start. We know about Zeke Elliott, one of the most gifted backs in the NFL. He runs behind a four-man offensive line, which... I suppose it's a little bit unjust to not include Connor Williams among Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, and Lyle Collins could be the best line in the league, and they can certainly line up and push the Dolphins off the ball. It's going to be key for Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins to hold the point of attack and free up Jerome Baker and Raquan McMillan at linebacker to make some plays. Amari Cooper, one of the game's best route runners, he pairs size with speed. He's a fun matchup if the Dolphins choose to have Xavier Howard travel on him, but I expect they'll probably bracket Cooper and have Howard take out somebody else on the Cowboys offense. Jason Witten, basically a red zone option, additional lineman type of option. They're not going to have Michael Gallup in this game. And Randall Cobb will go back and forth in motion all day long, trying to keep this Dolphins defense honest with false steps and misdirection all game long. On the defensive side, I talked about those linebackers. Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderush just set the tone in this defense. Their speed and versatility allows them to do a lot of things. They can be kept clean and make plays against the run. They can drop into coverage, and they can blitz. And speaking of blitzes, they're probably not going to have to send a whole lot of them because the Cowboys have elite rushers on this team, like Demarcus Lawrence. He's got eight pressures, just one sack. I expect him to really look to pad his stats in this game. In the secondary, Byron Jones has kind of fallen out of favor. He'd be a guy I look at going forward with this Dolphins team. Jeff Heath is dependable back there. Xavier Woods is very underrated and Cheeto Awuze is one of the better cornerbacks up and coming in this league. He pairs with Jordan Lewis, but if the Dolphins want to attack this secondary, the best place to do it is the opposite perimeter corner on the other side of Cheeto Awuze because Jordan Lewis plays the slot and the other cornerback position has had some fluctuation. They're going to have to find ways to create those one-on-one passing opportunities with Chad O'Shea's offense and attack vertically, vertically and hope to steal some points that way. My bet is that preston williams makes a big play in the game as far as the concerns in this game pretty much all over the field the cowboys can run it down miami's throat they can pass it they can rush the passer they can stop the run i just don't know where the opportunities exist outside of those vertical shots i think mike is up the seam preston williams getting an outside release into the boundary without safety help or maybe a flyby from jakeem grant the dolphins are going to have to get fireworks in this game to pull off the upset and come away with a win and I do think the game plan came together much better defensively against the Patriots and the Dolphins played a lot better in that game despite the scoreboard but it's going to be a challenge to carry a lifeless offense which I expect this group to be they can't sustain drives can they hit the big play can they convert in the red zone the answers to those questions so far have been no and because of that I'm going with Dolphins 6 Cowboys 31 on Sunday And so that would total a differential of 25 points, which means the Cowboys would cover that spread and we'll have the college picks on Friday for you guys tomorrow with six picks to go to my 11 and nine record of picking college football games on the week four slate. And with that, at the end of a hard week, it's just so great to sit down on a Saturday or Sunday, take some time off and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns on two-minute drives, running backs racing down the sidelines with nobody in sight. There's nothing else like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to put some cash on it. So do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payouts and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play and it's where you should play too. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is always the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code On to activate that offer. That's promo code Locked On. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. From loops. Yeah, yeah, feeling good on a Wednesday. Then with the computer, I can actually quantize Popping, everything, feeling good, feeling back good, instruments, popling, dots, and yeah, then finally I use yeah, the auto-tune. Yeah. We're on a South Park theme here on this episode, if you cannot tell already, because you go back to September 12th, a week ago from today... And I tweeted out that if the Jets, after losing Sam Darnold and now with Trevor Simeon down, but if they go after David Fells or Brock Osweiler, I'm going to blow a funny fuse because nothing would be funnier than that. I I just saw the funniest thing I'll ever see. And I think I blew a funny fuse. Blew a funny fuse? It was just too much and my sense of humor overloaded. I don't think anything will ever be funny again. Oh God, what have I done? So, I mean, just does it write itself any better than what the New York Jets under Adam Gase are doing? Two games in, everybody is just blowing up on him and his entire operation. It is a thing of beauty. We have to take some some joy in others' misery around the league during this tough season for the Miami Dolphins. And who better to enjoy their misery than Adam Gase and the New York Jets? Okay, we're going to finish out this podcast. I redid the whiteboard up in my office, as you guys know I like to do, with color coding and roster designations as far as who's worth what on this team. I have identified six potential building blocks. I have come up with a new color coding system, which covers blue chip players plus starters, viable veterans. All three of those distinctions are the same as they were in the past. I also added upside I made one category to encompass two players, one that is too early to tell and one that is borderline on the thin ice or possibly making a push at getting some playing time. Another one for players not in the plans and a final category for players that just aren't good enough and aren't going to be here because of that. So let's look at the quarterbacks first, and you guys aren't going to like this off the top. I gave Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen both not good enough distinctions. Josh Rosen can obviously overcome that and get himself into an upside, maybe a viable vet option down the road. I do believe that Josh Rosen is going to be the backup quarterback of this team for a couple of years if they can't trade him off to somebody else when they draft the new quarterback. I think that he provides the most value right now to the Dolphins as their backup to a to a Tunga Viloa Jordan Love whoever it might be next season at running back I've got Kenyon Drake is not in the plans Kalen Balaj, right now you're not good enough because last season you weren't good you've been horrendous this season it's got to get better for me to change that distinction but right now he is a red player an arrow down player. I've got Mark Walton in the upside category, and the other three backs, Cox, Laird, and Gaskin, are all in the too early to tell category. I gave Preston Williams a plus starter designation. I think he will eventually become that. Not there yet, but I do believe that's the track he's headed on. He is one of my six building blocks going forward. I have Jakeem Grant in upside still. I've been one of the biggest proponents of Jakeem Grant, but he's just not got there yet, and I want to see him prove it before I give him a building block distinction. He's all upside. I've got Devontae Parker as not good enough, and Alan Hearns in that same category, and I've got Albert Wilson as not in the plans. I just really don't think they're going to stick with a guy who's been injured this much the last two years. At tight end, Mike Gesicki upside. Durham Smythe too early. Nick O'Leary I have as not good. He's been terrible through two games so far. On the offensive line, I've got Jesse Davis as a viable vet. Michael Dieter and Evan Bohm. I gave them both upside distinctions. I've got Daniel Kilgore as not in the plans, as well as Chris Reed, which is pretty obvious. And then I have Danny Isadora and Jamarcus Webb as not good enough. And Shaq Calhoun, Brian Witzman... Isaiah Prince, all in the too early slash borderline category. On the defensive line, so if you're keeping score at home, that's one building block on the offense I have for this team. On the defensive line, Christian Wilkins and Devon Godshaw, I have them both as plus starters. I believe that is already there. I think Wilkins is on his way to being there, and they are two of my six building blocks. John Jenkins is a viable vet, and then Avery Moss and Tank Carradine I have as not good enough to be on this roster in the future. At linebacker, Jerome Baker is a plus starter. He's one of the building blocks. I've got Raekwon McMillan as upside right now. He's also one of my six building blocks. So that's five. You probably know who the six is by this point. Right now, I've got Sam Egwavon as too early, although it's not looking good for him through two games. I've got Vince Beagle as an upside player. Charles Harris and Trent Harris, both not good enough. Harris was fool's gold this preseason so far, and the other two, James Crawford and Dion Lacey, are both in the too early slash borderline category. At defensive back, Xavier Howard is the only blue chip player on this roster. Actually, I have one more. I'll tell you who that is here in just one second. I've got Xavier Howard as a blue chip player. He's one of the six building blocks. So that's Baker, McMillan, Howard, Wilkins, Godshaw, and Preston Williams are my six building blocks. Eric Rowe, he's red, not good enough. Jamal Wiltz is orange with upside. The same is true of Chris Lamont's. Bobby McCain and Rashad Jones are both in the viable veteran category. Same with Walt Aikens and Johnson Batamosi for their special teams prowess. I have Steven Parker and Ken Webster in the too early slash borderline category, and I put Doug Middleton in not good enough in the red category. So that's the roster distinctions right now. A lot's going to change. I'm sure this roster will continue to overturn itself from now up until the offseason begins, and we'll continue to update these players' designations as we go forward. But right now, as you guys can tell, this This roster is pretty depleted, it's not good. There is going to be a huge infusion of talent next off season, And of course, we'll be tracking that here on Locked on Dolphins all season and all offseason long. I'm also tracking the Texans, Steelers, and Saints schedules. And lastly, the podcast went over 1 million downloads for the year today. We're about 14 weeks ahead of schedule on that as my year-end goal was to hit a million downloads. So thank you all so, so, so much for the support. It's greatly appreciated. And if you have a Google Home or download the Google News, News app. We are officially here with Locked On Podcast, partnering with Google and the Google News Feed. You can get one and five minute hits and updates from Google from yours truly. That's right. I'm the voice of the Miami Dolphins on the Google News feed. The content is the same as what you're going to get here on the podcast, but there's monetary incentive for me as well as a huge step in discovery of the podcast. Big, big, big things happening at Locked On, and I can't go further into this next part, but I've got some pretty big things coming down the pipeline for myself personally as well. And that's a great spot to end the podcast on. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.